0: Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable.
1: Ah. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, it's Dr. Will Cole. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers. This is the art of being well. What's up, everyone? It's Dr. Will Cole, and welcome to The Art of Being Well. I am a leading functional medicine expert. I get to consult people around the world via webcam. I started one of the first functional medicine telehealth centers in the world over a decade ago, and I'm a New York Times bestselling author. I wrote Intuitive Fasting, which is my newest book, and The Inflammation Spectrum, and Ketotarian. If you want to learn more about my clinical work, the telehealth center, the books, And there's lots of free resources for you there as well. You can check it all out at drwillcole.com. That's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. All right, let's get to today's guest. You all are going to love her, brilliant mind, and such a funny, kind, compassionate human being. Her name is is Molly Carmel. She is a leading addictions and eating disorder therapist. She is the founder of the Beacon Program, which offers individual and group solutions to help people break free from their destructive relationships with food and dieting. Known for her irreverent, straight talk, no chaser attitude, she's also the author of the innovative book, Breaking Up With Sugar, a plan to divorce the diets, drop the pounds, and live your best life. And she's also the host of the amazing podcast, What You're Craving, which I've been a guest on. Molly has made it her life's mission to help people find a sustainable solution to the battle of obesity and related eating disorders. After battling an eating disorder for over 20 years and finding no solution in available treatment... She began her professional path and has never looked back. In addition to her extensive training in substance use and eating disorders, Molly is intensively trained in and has an undying love for dialectical behavioral therapy, which you're going to learn all about today. She's also, we're going to learn, a trained shaman, Reiki healer, and certified Tibetan bowl singing practitioner. Molly's work has been featured on The Today Show, The Dr. Oz Show, Dateline, NBC, Anderson Cooper 360, and Extreme Makeover, as well as in People Magazine and The Los Angeles Times. And stay tuned through the entire conversation, because at the end, I answer another one of your burning health questions in another Ask Me Anything. All right, let's get right to it. This is Molly Carmel's Art of Being Well. Molly I'm so pumped that this is happening. Thanks for coming on the podcast.
0: Well, thanks for having me. I love talking to you. It's one of my top fun things to do.
1: So thank you. Hey, and I mean, I love talking to you. Your podcast was so much fun and you ask such thoughtful questions. It was a great conversation for, for people that, want to hear part 1 of this conversation they need to go back and listen to listen to me on your podcast how how do people find it just before we kick off the convo
0: yeah so my podcast is called what you're craving and it is a podcast about the things that are below our cravings right like you your podcast was a little bit about why you're craving which i have to say in fairness changed so many people like i got so much beautiful clarifying feedback which is just all we're looking to do in this Nutty world of wellness. So, what you're craving is on Dear Media, just like this beautiful art, podcast. Just like
1: The Art of Being Well. <laughs> I love it. So, our podcasts are basically siblings.
0: Yes, they are. Oh,
1: that's so sweet. They are siblings. And now they're having a play date.
0: Yeah, they're besties. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> All
1: right. I want to, I have so many things that I want to talk to you about, but it's really centered around, just for people that are joining, we're going to be talking about eating disorders. We're going to be talking about toxic tribalism. We're going to be talking about diet culture, anti-diet culture, and just have a healthy relationship with food. That's a lot to cover in just one conversation, but let's kick it off with the landscape of social media. I think within all spheres, not just wellness, but politics, every anything that you can have an opinion about, let's just say this, about toxic tribalism. But I guess Can you talk about what you're seeing in your field with this and how it's impacting the wellness world?
0: Oh, well, I mean, I think the wellness world is in a a really tenuous spot right now because I actually think the word wellness is losing any meaning. And I think a lot of that is rooted in people just using personal experience as data. I have a really big problem with that. And I think there's this real desperation to want to be free. And then there's a lot of vultures around trying to eat off of this desperation. And I think in a lot of ways, as a therapist, as like an eating disorder, an addiction therapist, there's a lot of trauma going on. It's a lot of trauma responses. There's this idea of learned helplessness, which is like us just being completely convinced that we can't get well which I think is like the end stage of a lot of this. And then there's this other great behaviorism concept that I want to share with everybody called intermittent reinforcement, which is like the S, which is by the way, like what abusers use, right? It's what we use in abuser. So they're so bad for me. There's, I'm, I'm, I'm getting rid of them. It's over, it's over. And then, you know, they'll bring flowers and okay, I'll try it one more time. And then intermittent reinforcement is like the middle stage, I think, of this diet culture. And then Mm -hmm. that end stage is learned helplessness, which is like, I just can't get well. So I think it's just a really confusing landscape. And I think it's coming at the cost of our spirits and our emotions Mm -hmm. and our physical health and every single piece of us. And, And then I think in that way, Will, as we're saying, it's in every area of our life. I mean, if we don't have our health. And I think worse than that, if our, if our health and our relationship with food is so convoluted and complicated and it takes so much time and energy and self-hate, we actually can't be useful in this world, which is just a larger mm-hmm. concept I like to throw in because mm-hmm. I do think there's a part of diet culture that gets really orthorexic Certainly. and this hyper-focus. I like I'm all about eating healthy. I have my half sandwich right here, but I think there's this piece where we're really, as as we do here in America, where we just take it to this like nth level mm-hmm. and we forget what's, it's really important to be healthy, mm-hmm. but it's being hyper obsessed about food and health takes us away from our primary purpose as people on this earth.
1: Mm-hmm. Perfectly said. And I, I think about, and I we talked about this on when I was on your podcast, is that I didn't realize how much, conversation would happen around intuitive fasting, because I wrote it as a more mindful, flexible, less restrictive, less obsessive, mindful approach to intermittent fasting. And it's just the title of the book. And I talk about all these things that we're talking about within the book, but it was a trigger for a lot of people because... There is this militant Mm -hmm. tribal opinion that is, and that's part of toxic tribalism, I think, is that it is confirmation bias. And then it's like any, you have this echo chamber that's going on. But what are your thoughts on somebody that you are an eating disorder specialist, but you also advocate for people to eat healthy? How, How do you see this very complex conversation around the idea that if we talk about eliminating any foods that may be inflammatory, that's diet culture. That's labeled diet culture by anti-diet oh, culture. Yes. So you have these warring wars, of, wars of, of saying diet culture is, you know, restrict and obsess and shame your way into wellness. And then, you know, the anti-diet culture, that's basically the opposite, complete opposite of that that says we can't talk about anything when it comes to health and nutrition and certain foods may be not good for the human body because it's Shaming somebody and it's it's diet culture. What yeah. what's what, this? What are well, your thoughts on this?
0: I was really impacted. Especially how we became friendly. I mean, I was really impacted by the rea- reaction, and I use that phrase very intentionally. There was not a response to your book. There was a reaction to your book. So much so that I was on a I was on a thread with a bunch of eating disorders and addiction specialists who. Had such a gang mentality about your book, and in so much I thought like Gwyneth Paltrow wrote it. I was like, you people, like this is what is the problem? These are professionals. Mm-hmm. I really, <laughs> I can get really lioness if you need me to. So I'm always here. <laughs> I've always got Thank your background.
1: friend. <laughs> Thank you.
0: We are losing the entire thread of it, and and I, so I just. To, sort of answer your question again i think the other piece of what's happening in the wellness world is there is this great assumption that the, that there is one way to be in relationship with food and it's really magical thinking in my in my opinion and it's just being an intuitive eater and that is such a complex i mean first of all for those who who can do it who have the biology and the neurology and the endocrine system and have done no harm to any of that really can get to that place of complete neutrality in and of itself with food. I don't think that's a bippity. I mean, I I read the book, Intuitive Eating. It doesn't say, you know, wake up one day and have this neutral relationship with food. That being said, these are complex paths. And so for those of us, I mean, clearly... You know, someone who has a very healthy, normal relationship with food is probably not very interested in something I have to say. They're probably a little bit interested in what you have to say, right? Like, So very rarely, like my godson, he eats three bites of a cookie. He's like, I'm done. And I'm like, my eyes are falling out of my head. Like, what's that like? Because I, I come from a very different endocrine system and nervous system than he does. And I think also trauma system than he does. So I think there are just these great assumptions, and then I think there's this, you know, this shaming that goes on from anti diet culture, and this I would say bullying that goes on from anti diet culture that says, "How in the world would you think eliminating a high inflammatory food or just a food that you feel uncomfortable with in this moment that makes you eat?" When there's so many permutations of this. And I agree with you about the toxic tribalism. To me, it's a very protective, tribal, traumatic response that I actually think is an alternative response to learned helplessness, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it's not like, okay, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. It's actually this very like oddly empowered learned helplessness. But Mm -hmm. if you want to make any adjustments or changes or insight or compassion, like it's not okay. And as in eating disorders, Expert therapist, this eating disorders. I mean, first of all, I'm an addictions person too. Eating disorders, in many ways, put addictions to shame. They are slippery and slimy, and they shape shift. You know, I was just working with somebody who is is a is a defined binge eater and had dental work, and she had to go to soft foods diet. You know, and I just guess for the average Joe or Josephina you know, this is not not a big deal. And it turned her in, I mean, I I watched it go on Mm -hmm. and she turned into a restrictor and and we've been really working through the thoughts, beliefs, and ideas that come with this thing. So I think it's just, you know, what I will say to the day I die, perhaps even put it on my tombstone is Mm -hmm. if somebody tells you that there's one way run, way. And all Mm -hmm. toxic tribalism is saying is there's one way get into our camp. Mm -hmm. And I think what it really does is it, it disempowers us in such a profound way. I mean, there is so much wisdom inside of us. You write about it in in intuitive fasting that so much of those concepts, intuitive fasting are concepts of basic, you know, like there's a lot of intermittent fasting. That's just kind of like Basic farming, right from mm-hmm. early culture. Not supposed to eating dinner at 10 p.m. Like it's not like wow, that's just so revolutionary.
1: <laughs> but it, but I
0: think that being yeah. said, like we're losing the thread on all of it, and I think we're missing out on treatment. But much, 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 much more importantly, we are learned. We are missing out on attending to our own individualized needs inside of us because we can't even hear with all the other noise going on.
1: Mm-hmm. Beautifully said. Electrolyte deficiency or electrolyte imbalances can cause a whole host of symptoms like headaches, cramps, fatigue, and weakness. Electrolytes also play a critical role in many other health conditions and serve many functions throughout the body. People with POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, brain and mental health, people that are breastfeeding, regulating your appetite, and curbing cravings. So much more. Electrolytes are needed, and many people don't know the underlying reason of why they're going through those issues, electrolytes can really help in so many ways if they just supported their electrolytes. The problem is so many electrolyte products on the market are filled with tons of junk. They have artificial sweeteners, artificial colors, or just straight up sugar None of it is what I would recommend for my patients or any of the listeners of The Art of Being Well. So you want to know what I take every day? It's Element. Element is all the electrolytes that you need to support all those far-reaching pathways of the body without all the junk. Drink Element is a healthy alternative to sugary electrolyte drinks, Each grab-and-go stick pack replaces essential electrolytes with no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, or any other junk. I drink Element every day when I'm consulting patients. It improves my energy, improves my sleep. I just feel fantastic. And I don't have any cravings at all throughout the day. As a member of our community, Element has a very special offer for you. Claim your free Element sample pack. You can try all these amazing flavors. You only cover the cost of shipping. Get yours at drinkelement.com slash art well. That's drink slash art of well. So many people ask me on social media, and I certainly get asked this from patients as well, what healthy snack options do I recommend, especially during the holidays, but really any time of the year, what's a healthy snack that I recommend? The first thing comes to my mind because it's something that I have every day. It is the grass-fed beef sticks from my friends at Paleo Valley. They are 100% grass-fed and grass-finished. That's a key term to look for when you're buying these things. But grass-fed, grass-finished meats from domestic regenerative farms is another key term. Definitely need to be supporting companies, that support regenerative farms and actual regenerative farmers. And you can do both by getting these beef sticks. They are also a gut healthy snack. Most meat sticks can upset your stomach or disrupt your digestion, likely due to the inflammatory side effects of encapsulated citric acid, which you want to avoid at all costs, which is used in most meat stick products. Instead, Paleo Valley beef sticks are naturally fermented, which creates probiotics for a balanced, healthy gut and eased digestion. They're high quality. They have bioavailable protein. They are just great snacks for grab on the go. If you're busy during the holidays or any time of the year, I pack these in my bag when I travel. Paleo Valley Beef Sticks are free of hydrogenated oils, making it one of the healthiest meat snacks on the market. And they have so many good flavors. They have a summer sausage, they have jalapeno, they have teriyaki, so many of the ones, my favorite, Probably would be the jalapeno ones and the teriyaki. Those are two of my favorite, but they're all amazing. Try them out. See which one's your favorite. All you have to do is head on over to paleovalley.com and enter code Dr. Will at checkout for 15% off your first order. Again, that's paleovalley.com. Enter code Dr. Will D-R-W-I-L-L at checkout for 15% off your first order.
0: Hi, I'm Sif Hyder, the founder of Hooray. I'm a wellness entrepreneur and digital creator, and this is my show, The Dream Bigger Podcast. Listen, I love dreaming big, but you know what I love more? Actually having the resources to make those big dreams happen. And hey, dreams can sometimes be private jets, but other times they can look a little something like having the best skin of your damn life or starting a successful business or delving into spirituality. So on this podcast, I chat with experts and thought leaders from different fields about their tips and tricks on doing exactly that. Remember to subscribe. We drop new episodes every Tuesday. So see you then.
1: Feeling great is the goal, right? And eating foods that make you feel good is a form of self-respect. And avoiding (laughs) foods that don't make you feel good, eating foods that will mess up your labs, mess up your your health is not restrictive. It's self-respect. And I think it's really looking at that paradigm shift that we're, how far have we gone as a culture where we see that as something negative, as improving somebody's health to see something negative. Look, I get why, because it's like a rebound response to diet culture, which has really messed a lot of people up at their, their relationships with food. But to me, the, the, Polar opposite is there's a middle ground, and I think finding the the both and instead of the either or is really where the secret lies.
0: Yeah, so I was writing mm-hmm. my book proposal for Breaking Up with Sugar. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I said in the thing like, there's lots of people who promote cooked food. There's lots of people who promote raw food. There's nobody who's like, you know what? And all sugar diets really the way we need to do this, right? And all <laughs> yeah. soda, all candy, all sugar. Let's yeah. do it. There's a concept in intuitive eating, which again is not actually in the book, it's in the movement, right? Because intuitive eating actually says very clearly in that book, there's a difference between intuitive eating and emotional eating, right? And then I'm like on Instagram and these coaches are like, have seven donuts in the morning, eat when you're not hungry. Like that's actually like not in the book. And that's, I think what happens in this toxic tribalism in such a profound way. And then I think- Healing from an abusive relationship goes through stages. Like I've been a therapist over 20 years, right? And I have somebody coming in to heal any relationship, a breakup to an addiction. It's not like second session, we're done, right? And I like even know for myself, Like I'm a very healthy, I call myself like a humble eater because I don't eat sugar or flour 12 years, not a day in my life do I... Think, gosh, I really wish I could do that. I'm just not a recreational user of things. Like, Mark Hyman says that about sugar. He says, like, mm-hmm. it's a recreational drug. And, like, I'm not the kind. I'm, I'm also, like, a recovering alcoholic. Like, I just don't, that's just not, doesn't work. I don't moderate well. It's just, it's not my brand, you know? <laughs> so, I think there there's this piece of it where, there is a possibility, I guess, if I wanted to work really hard that I could get to some kind of intuitive relationship with sugar. I have no interest in it. I just, my life works so much better this way, but that takes time, energy. And so I think there's a lot of people like in my community who are like, I'm not really interested in that. I've been at war with my body. I've been war with, I just am not interested in attempting this moderation. My neuro, my nervous system doesn't work very well. My endocrine system sort of been destroyed let me work on just rehabbing that. And, and and so I think it's just such a process. And I mean, Will, like none of this stuff sells what we're talking about. You know, we're like, hey, like just a long-term mindful relationship and like checking in with yourself. And like we're up against this billion-dollar industry that's like, do this thing, and then you're all better. And then I was just doing this seven day. No sugar challenge with them this organization I was working with but I was like listen on day seven you gotta let me say it to people that there's a day eight <laughs> like, like <laughs> I can't you know what I mean like I can't yes I just can't sleep at night pretending like it's over it just maybe gave you a little clarity to see like oh yeah. hey what what's tomorrow about you know and yeah. I, I don't know
1: we're You're up against a lot right. it's like <laughs> we all want the seven, the sexy seven days or 14 days, but you're absolutely right. We know this when we see patients, when we see clients, we, even when I write in the book, I'm saying, okay, 30 days is a springboard, but this is for the rest of your life to figure out what's your healthy relationship with food that works for you physically, but also mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Oh, yeah. And I think um, the
0: other thing is. I don't know about you, any relationship in my life, most specifically my relationship with food has evolved over time and diet culture and anti-diet culture doesn't give you any chance to move and develop and grow. And I think that's where like bravery and self-love and self-knowledge and self-forgiveness, like that's, it's actually in this examination where Mm -hmm. it happens. But when you're so scared. And I have to say in the beginning, I was I was not on social very much before my book was published. And I was really scared to post in the beginning. And I actually had, had a friend who was really worried to come on to my podcast after your book, after that big, the hoopla of how dare he tell everybody to starve themselves. So just so far from that book. Yeah. And I think also in fairness, like who you are, as a person, it's just, I think I'm just completely fascinated by how quickly we go from zero to 100. That's what I'm saying. Like nobody is responding anymore. Everybody is reacting.
1: It's so true. I'm curious with your, you have that, you have the amazing message that you have when you mentioned people being afraid when to come on your podcast from the eating disorder community, maybe. Did you get blowback? Did you get pushback? What when you talk, or do you still get pushback from your industry when you talk about giving up sugar? And like you said, you haven't had sugar or flour in twelve years. Yes. Uh, what's What's the thoughts of it I have like the industry? a scarlet
0: letter on in my industry in the eating the eating disorder world is not interested. In food addiction. Like I don't know a nicer way to say it. I mean, I had the author of Intuitive Eating on my podcast, and she said she doesn't believe in food addiction. And so that's where we are. And so I'm a little counterculture over there. And 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 I'm actually not even a food addiction person. I'm what you would call a harm reduction food addiction person because there's this very staunch again this very toxic tribal food addiction movement that says no 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 and there's and mine is like here are some ideas what works for you here's some science here's some ideas what works for you how close can you get to it you know things we know that work by the way like even in heroin addiction harm reduction works meeting somebody where they are giving them informed consent things that we know work behaviorally and emotionally and spiritually for people mm-hmm. So I get a lot of blowback. I'm not really invited to conferences to talk about this because the eating disorder world really believes that labeling any food as bad, which I don't know that I would label sugar as, I don't know that that's a languaging I would use, but labeling any food as bad is reinforcing an eating disorder. And that the only way to heal from eating disorder is to have all like neutrality and love for all foods. I, I wanna tell you this story of all the people I know, and I had a woman who was in traditional eating disorder treatment. She was about 300 pounds and she was at a traditional eating outpatient clinic where they would open the door to make sure she wasn't throwing up when she went to the bathroom and they were challenging her to eat rugula and, and all of these foods that were dangerous foods. She came into me with A1C levels off the charts, you know, thirsty, all this pre-diabetic stuff, more hopeless than, and, you know, and, and I, and we tried my, you know, we tried breaking up with sugar four years later. She's just a new person. I mean, that, that's what I, I'm not, I'm not saying intuitive eating doesn't work. I just think it's audacious to say that there's no such thing as food addiction right? and to not treat it.
1: Right. So is that really the line? I didn't know that. I didn't know that the capital I, capital E, like the book intuitive eating in the nineties, the author doesn't believe in food addiction, meaning meaning that they, what, what's, what are their, their thoughts around? It, it It sounds crazy to me.
0: Yeah. I know I most mean, but, doctors say that when I tell them that.
1: <laughs> right. I mean, the research around the designer foods and and processed foods and how they become yeah. very different, the opioid receptors in the brain and the impact that they have on blood sugar and the cascade of different pleasure centers of of the brain. That's an interesting... Thought big food in and
0: of itself, and I think that you know, um, like Michael Moss wrote that book, Hooked, and even just from an like an anthropological standpoint, like we look for things that are easier to eat. Like, but I guess the the notion in the book, as I understood it when I had her on my podcast, was that our intuition should be able to be stronger than any big food, any big pharma, which I think is asking a lot of your intuition when you have like kids and work, and I mean, I. I, I, I think that that's a big piece of it. Like I believe in meditation wholeheartedly. I believe in getting centered, but even sometimes, you know, I'm eating some Lay's potato chips, you know, like it's not the <laughs> day I want everyone watching me. What, what did Molly eat today? You know, half a bag of Lay's potato chips. But I take much more issue with the invalidation of what is true for some people because what I experience in my practice is just people who have been plummeted by this, toxic tribalism. And so we're saying, oh, it is wrong. Oh, this is bad. And then we don't just have one problem to solve in therapy, which is how do we get you into a healthy relationship with food? But we have this learned helplessness of you not believing that you can get well. Mm -hmm. The stories that treatment providers have told you of why this won't work for you. And everybody's making a buck off of it. And everybody's losing their sense of self and their self-determination and their sovereignty to be in charge of their own health, which is, I think, where you and I really connect.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This is about empowerment and agency of your health and not in a obsessive way or controlling way, but in a way of, of knowingness what works with your body and what doesn't. So let's talk about breaking up with sugar because probably a lot of people that are listening to this is like, yeah, maybe I I have better versions of sugar or I decrease the sugar, but that seems daunting to break up with sugar. I I think it's a powerful message. Like, what was that like for you? And what what do you, what, what recommendation do you have for people that are, know it's not good for them and they want to feel better, but they're, they don't know where to start.
0: Well, I think for so what I think is really fascinating about eating disorders and addictions as like a psychological illness is like they come with tremendous blind spots. Like I could do a whole podcast on Molly's blind spots and addiction. And so I'm like this eating disorder therapist and addiction therapist, like, you know, really in a dark, dark, dark double life of having this gnarly eating disorder, never looking at sugar as part of my solution because it was it was my solution so I could never have considered it was my problem. And so, you know, the, the shortest story is, and then I eliminated it more in a fad diet kind of way because I was gaining weight so quickly and it was a really bad look and I just couldn't get control over anything. My brother actually was doing a challenge and I was like, if Mikey can do it, this challenge, I can certainly, and I was desperate and I was desperate. And so, but when I did it, well, it was insane because I went through such a detox and as an addiction therapist, I was like, "Uh Oh, something's going on here. Right. And then I think the other piece was I felt miraculously better about three weeks in miraculously. Like, and I, and I, yes, I my I slept better, but like I I stopped having cravings. I mean, and listen, there are evidence-based tests that you can take to see how far out this thing is for you. I think actually for, so I, Somebody tells you this is one way run away. I wrote a book called Breaking Up With Sugar. I don't think everybody needs to break up with sugar. I think people need to evaluate and look. And so I think I'm on the tail end, right? Like I'm a hundred and, percent. And it was, you know, I was struggling with diet drama and trauma for 33 years. I mean, I, I blew out my entire endocrine system. I mean, like it just wasn't working. It's all rebuilt now. God bless good health. God, you know, That's everything right. is reparable. Will, you know? That's right. But, That's a good message. I think the other piece is for those of us who are like, I could never, I have the, I have such a bad sugar addiction. I could never give it up. I mean, that's the con of addiction. <laughs> that's just what it wants you to believe. Cause I myself and there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people I've helped do it. And they're like, I can't believe I didn't do this sooner. I've been doing this a long time. I haven't had sugar. So it's, it's not triggering to me at all. You know, feelings fade over time if they're not re-stimulated, but like, There's a likelihood that full breakup is actually what will work for those of us who are really, really, really struggling. It's such a terrible message to sell, but Mm it's I'm brave enough to say it because I I usually in my practice they're like at the principal's office. You know, I'm sort I'm really the last house on the block, so very rarely am I working with someone who's just like, yeah, it's like sort of bothers me. Like usually I'm with people like I can't stop eating. I feel terrible at myself. I've tried everything. I don't know what to do. And if you have more of the addictive piece of it, then it's progressive. And I've seen that. I mean, and of course, like the diagnostic statistic, Manual doesn't believe in this, but I've seen withdrawal and I've seen tolerance and I've seen all of it. And even if they don't want to diagnose it, that's fine by me, as long as we can talk about that the solution works for many.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, what and you said it, 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 these things exist on a spectrum. There's people that can have that rec- recreational drug relationship with sugar, or get better versions of it, uh, more whole food based sweeteners. Right. Um, but what do you say to somebody that knows they need to decrease it? Obviously, get the get your book, because you'll guide them through that. But like for just, what are some simple action steps that people can do today to start having a better relationship with sugar, or cut it out of their life?
0: I would say that you really could give it seven days to try to just be off completely. I mean, the first thing I would do is take a quiz. Like in chapter four of my book, there's like two quizzes to take that really kind of, will show you where you are in all of it. There's some people who are so deep in diet trauma that they might not actually have a problem at all. And be like, okay, just kidding. But then there's some of us who will take that quiz like me and be like 12 out of 12. And it's like, oh my goodness. And, and I really like this idea of forever is is pretty toxic. Wouldn't you? Like, so yeah. I don't, I've don't. i done it 12 years and I would, and if you were like, Molly, you're doing this forever. I'd be like, no, I'm going to get a cupcake. Don't tell me I'm doing anything forever. Yeah. You know, so I think it's all about like holding it pretty, gently but also having some pretty solid limits like you can't know if it works unless you try it. So yes, I understand. I'm going to tell you small things to do, but I think the first thing I have to say is I I do think like I'm a harm reductionist. I believe something's better than nothing, but I do believe if you really think you have a problem with sugar, try to give it up full stop. And if you're up for it, try to give up grain flour while you're doing it because grain flour and sugar, I mean, I have so many people who are like much more delusional about grain flour. You know, they're like, no, I don't really like sweets. I'm like, let's talk angel hair pasta. You know, let's talk again. They're like, right. (laughs) I will kill you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The exorcist (laughs) comes out.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, they're all really, that's, they're both really the same thing. But listen, I mean, I think the first thing you want to do is do an evaluation of what you're eating. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I think the other thing that's so important is like, when we know this about any behavioral change, like. Dissonance is a real thing. And if you're just going to think about how bad it is, it's probably not going to work for you. So I would say two things. The first thing I would say is you want to find food that you love, that loves you back, and get a lot of it into your house. And in that vein, also take out the food that talks to you in the middle of the night, even if you have kids. Like if you put like shortbread in my house and granola, my gateway drug in my house right now, like I would be like talking to you, but also being like, Well, maybe right. But if you put like key lime pie in my house and even dark chocolate, I'd be like, eh, whatever. So I would even like, even like, but Molly, I have kids. You know, that one, you have that one, I'm sure. But Molly, what about my kids? And I'm like, well, not good for all your kids, but can we just at least get the highly triggering foods out of our house? There there's so much data on because the substance of food is such a different animal than the substance of alcohol and drugs. It's like We see it, we think about it. We were at the ballpark with our dad when we were four eating it. Like it's so deeply ingrained that the more you can do to help to protect yourself against it, plus adding in food that is like delicious and you love. And if it were me, don't get mad at me, Will. Like I would just focus on that you know, like it's cool to be dairy for a minute, cool to bring in other stuff for a minute that we like, know isn't like ideal for us. Like even like the oils, like just one thing at a time, because I think a lot of times we have these great expectations of what we think we can do. And like, we just can't. And then the third thing I would say is like losing weight is not really a good enough. Why? Like it's just, doesn't stand the test of time. It can get us in like, and honestly, neither does like bad labs is not even a good. Why? like, really getting like a solid reason. And it's like a pleasure concept It has to end up being like the pleasure of breaking up with sugar has to be greater than the pleasure of staying with sugar. And that's a hard one to wrap our head around. But we know from a behavioral perspective that when we can really identify with why we want to do this, and that may evolve over time, that that's a big key of it. Your your why needs to be solid and probably as big as your problem.
1: Great advice. That's, I, we're speaking the same language. It's like, I, I it. want people, otherwise it's going to be this sort of fad crash thing, even if it's the best thing. But if you're going without a, a why, it, it's going to be short-lived, but you have to love feeling great. And that be your goal if you're not there more than you thought you missed something that was going to sabotage those goals.
0: Yeah, And I think there's this piece, like I, I love what you're saying, which is just like, I think we also do not put enough importance on what it is to like, do a quick crash, like it is costly. It's costly to your biologically, but like we don't need any more like notches in our belt of diet failure. Like it it ruins spirits. Do you know what I mean? Like I ran a boarding school, a therapeutic boarding school for obesity and these 16 year olds would come and people would be like, Oh, how bad could it be at 16? I was like, well, if their parents put them on a diet at 12, then that's a quarter of their life that they can associate with failure. And I think that's a piece of it. Like, I would all, like, I would honestly say, like, don't do it unless you really are going to do it in a way that is honoring your word because that's a big part of this with the fad diets and the empty promises like we just end up reinforcing that we can't do anything good for ourselves and Mm -hmm. our relationship with food and our relationships with ourselves are the only two relationships we have to have and i don't Mm -hmm. think we cherish that enough
1: Mm, perfectly said Public Goods is the one-stop shop for sustainable, high-quality, everyday essentials made from clean ingredients at an affordable price. Everything from coffee to toilet paper, shampoo, cleaning products to pet food, Public Goods is your new everything store thoughtfully designed for the conscious consumer. Rather than buying from a bunch of single product brands, Public Goods members can buy all of their premium essentials in one place. With one beautiful, streamlined aesthetic, Public Goods searches the globe to find clean, healthy, eco-friendly, and innovative products. I love Public Goods. I've used them for a long time now, and we use the cleaning products at the Functional Medicine Telehealth Center. I use them at my home as well, hand soap, so many other things. It's just, it's my everything store for sure. They ethically source and obsessively develop each of their products to be free of unhealthy ingredients and harmful additives that are still so common on grocery store shelves. They are committed to making their products healthy and safe for humans, animals, and the environment. I've worked out an awesome deal just for my listeners. Receive $15 off your first public goods order with no minimum purchase. They are so confident that you will absolutely love their products and come back again and again that they are giving you $15 to spend on your first purchase. You have nothing to lose. Just go to publicgoods.com slash or use my code Will at checkout. That's P-U-B-L-I-C-G-O-O-D-S dot com forward slash Will to receive $15 off your first order. All right. So, you know, this podcast is called The Art of Being Well. And we talk about the science, the art of wellness. And this part of the pod is called Your Art of Being Well. So okay. these, I want to hear your favorite things. I'm going to throw out a question and whatever comes to mind, I want to pick your brain on all things wellness. Are you up for this?
0: I, first of all, I'm, oh, I'm up for whatever you're doing, but certainly <laughs> okay. this game. Yes.
1: All right. Perfect. All right. Question number one, if you're stuck on a desert island, and you are looking for survival, nutrient density, living on this island. What food, if you only had to pick one food, what food would that be?
0: Chickpea pasta.
1: Oh, yum. I mean, Any do I words? have
0: a hot plate?
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I have a hot plate and <laughs> one food. But what? Well, only what have we one do? food? Chickpea pasta. What are we putting on the pasta? What's oh, the sp- I
0: thought we only have one thing.
1: Well, I want to I hear what you would garnish this with.
0: Garnish it with some uh, you know, I'd ripen, I'd make a little garden on my island and I'd get some basil and I'd get some, maybe some tomatoes and uh just some vegetables in it. And then I'd like, I just want to say one thing. You know, I always talk, you know, I used to weigh 325 pounds when I was 24 years old, and I was a miserable, suicidal, angry, hopeless case of a human. So there's sometimes I want to say, first of all, change is possible. And in and in the years of all the gut health work, you know. And the more awake I get, the more awake I can get. Because sometimes I say things like this and there's like a morbidly obese Molly in the back of my head, like punching me in the face. Like, I can't believe you're saying this on a big podcast, but it's actually what's true to me today. It's like, talk about intuitive eating, right? Like when I eliminated sugar and flour, I actually was able to access my intuition where like a vegetable filled chickpea pasta is something I know would nourish me and make me really happy on a desert island? Like, uh, that's just like a miracle in and yeah. of itself.
1: Love it. That's food, peace, right? That's it is that's, food, peace. You have that completely opposite. I'm I'm really curious about this answer. I mean, not having flour and sugar and and feeling so great doing it and not restrictive. If you had to f- eat one food for the rest of your life, regardless of health benefits, purely on like what you know, like. Tastes delicious and you really enjoy what would that food be?
0: It's like a vice question, like vice or not
1: necessarily vice, just what what's the food that you really go towards that that brings you the most pleasure?
0: Such a funny question. Um, I'm trying to define pleasure for myself because I'm thinking like cheese, but too much cheese does make me sick. I'm thinking potato chips, which are like my real vice <laughs> in life. So I don't know that those make me feel really good. And I'm really having a hard time picking one food. Will I'm like an addict, you know?
1: <laughs> no, I there's no-
0: I would say an apple. I don't know why. An apple is just one of my most favorite things in the
1: whole world. I love what type of apple? I love this.
0: I love a Honeycrisp apple.
1: Yay for Honeycrisp! But I—that's probably my favorite apple too. Honeycrisp. Yeah, it's—they're it's the
0: most expensive. Go us. Yeah, I do love good <laughs> apples. Bougie apple. I think it just, it's sweet. And you know, I think when I broke up with sugar, it's really sweet to me. And uh, it just brings me a lot of happiness and contentment. And then I think maybe what I'm thinking is like, it actually also loves me back. I love that. There's a completion to it. Like I'm done yeah. with it. Like Lay's potato chips, honestly, I mean, it's big food and it's not a, it's surprising to anybody, but Lay's potato chips, like I could get three quarters of three quarters of a bag in and be like, oh my God, I'm so nauseous now, yeah. you know?
1: Yeah, I think that's what you're touching on something that's really the heart of the show. It is what is wellness that loves you back? And yeah. finding the grace and the lightness to this, you are living this out. This is your work and what you get people towards. But I don't the- think
0: I got this. Like, I would say if you asked me this question 10 years ago, so someone like who's really on a journey, like mm-hmm. 10 years ago, I don't even know that I could have answered these questions and I promise you my answers would have been different. 15 years ago, I just sort of like, I I would have like signed off and like said, Oh my God, my internet doesn't work. I can't be interviewed by you. (laughs) Got it. (laughs) But I just want to say like, if anybody's listening and struggling, like it's a process, like at least for me, like I just, I wasn't, I was born this way. And then I had a lot of Wacky things happen, and I redid my whole system, and then I had to redo it back to its original settings. And it takes time and practice and energy and being cool with making mistakes and all this other stuff. And then you get here, and you're like, Honeycrisp. Truth is, well, Honeycrisp apple. Who knew?
1: Yeah, love it, Honeycrisp. Um, next question: What are if you do supplements? Do you take supplements? And if so, what are two supplements that have the biggest been the biggest game changers for you?
0: I take one supplement. I think. You know, I was so burned by diet culture that I am so skeptical of all things except magnesium, which has been the great game changer of my life for sleep, for my, for every, it's just the greatest. I
1: mm-hmm.
0: I mean, just think it's amazing.
1: Yeah, it's true. I would say like but vitamin D and magnesium are like the two most common nutrient deficiencies that yeah. I can think of. You're right. It's the basic core things. All right. What is one wellness myth like within your space that you want to clear up right now? One? <laughs> we could do two, but I want to know. Like, yeah, what are the I things mean, that listen, we're-
0: I, I think what we're talking about today, like, I just think there is no one way to be in a healthy relationship with food and there's no, and that even if you find this one thing that works, if you're really doing it right and you're really like self evolving and growing and exploring, even that one way is not going to be the same way. People, if we, if we as like a culture got on board with this, the wellness, like multi billion dollar movement would turn into a million dollar movement because all we're doing is give away our agency because we're changing and we, You know, and then we end up like hating ourselves even more. So Mm -hmm. if someone tells you that there's one way, run away. And even if you found the solution, it may be change you may change that too. Who knows?
1: Yeah. Pivoting and evolving. And changing your mind isn't failure, and what serves you today may not be think, thing you always have to do. And quite, I see, yeah, the quite tribalism the makes you feel like you're you're like a you are a, a apostate if you, especially I mean, among certain groups, it really is you're seen as a defector if you yeah. change your mind.
0: And if you and if you and if like most of us, you are like. Rejection cautious, and you've been bullied before. You know, I don't think you're interested in being bullied by other people or going to a therapist who says, "Oh, you're never going to get well, some. You're never going to get better that way. Or you're just going to be sick for the rest of your life." Or, you know, like I've just heard, I just the stories that I've heard, and, and I say especially of. of health coaches, people with like less training, you know, one Mm -hmm. health coach said, you're the problem. Every diet works, but so you must be the problem. I'm like, um, that's straight victim shaming. Like what is going on here? And you're making so much money in keeping people really stuck in, in this truth that they wish that they hope isn't true. And Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just amazing what's out there.
1: It's horrible. All right. Biohacking, I don't know if you're into biohacking at all, but what is your latest, if you like non-food, non-supplement, like wellness tool or biohack or something that you love in that space?
0: Um, I don't know if I'm a biohacker, but I'm I'm a real healthy person, not by virtue, by necessity, by the way. Um, <laughs> so what I was actually thinking about, uh, which I, I, I was trained in a couple of years ago, but I've been relying on recently. I just moved, I have a lot going on in my life is breath work. Like right. I think holotropic breath work, or even just, you know, sort of this trauma related breath of breathing out more than you breathe in, you know, the it's such a easy tool and it's so effective, you know, even just, I'll be in session and I'll sit with someone and I can notice, and I'll just say, what if we just take a minute to breathe through our bellies, just a minute, and I'll set a timer. You know, and it's like amazing what can happen in a minute of accessing your breath. I'm a, I'm a, a bracer, a breath bracer, so I stop breathing, and then I'm like anxious all the time. <laughs> and it's literally if I start breathing, I don't know if this is a biohack. Cause I'm not a doctor.
1: It, this is this is oh, okay. absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I'm so
0: proud of myself that yeah. too.
1: Because you know, you didn't even know it.
0: <laughs> I'm a biohacker, and I didn't even know it. Yeah. So I, I am. So I'm a big breath teacher and and uh, I believe in breath wholeheartedly. I'm also a huge meditator for lots of reasons, but I, I have to be restored to my natural nervous system. I had to redo my nervous system from, from trauma and getting into meditation. And, and I always think to myself, well, when, what does that have to do with you being an eating disorder person? And the answer is everything, because it's actually where you can access your intuition. If you can stay my teacher calls it your wise mind, that internal best self, and you kind of know what you should eat, you actually Mm -hmm. have no problems anymore, right?
1: Mm. That's good. What is, if you had to pick out of all these, like the wellness brands that are out there, what's one wellness brand? It could be a food, it could be a snack, it could be a product that you really been loving lately.
0: Well, I mean, I'm completely obsessed with the Ezekiel brand of bread. I, I I'm not even sure how I would function in this world without like, I don't love dependency, but I'm like as Ezekiel <laughs> dependent as a human being. And that's a it's a flourless bread. I like, I'm sure you would love it because you can't even keep it on the counter. If <laughs> yeah. you keep it on the counter, it goes moldy. bad. It gets moldy. Yeah. Even if you keep it in the refrigerator and it's only two of you living in the house. Like I have like a little situation. I take it some of it out of the freezer, put it in the fridge and for somebody who, you know, whose lower self loves pasta and bread, blah, 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 it's like, this is a bread that loves me back. And it is such a, I don't know what I would do without it. So please, it's as classy. you feel bread, if you're listening, <laughs> yeah. stay alive.
1: Help a girl out. Uh, it, it's in the frozen section, right? It's, it's, yeah. You, you, you'll get it in the frozen section, in the health food store. Also, oh, they yeah. have like
0: English muffins. My, oh, my mother, yes. who also broke up with sugar, she said she didn't, she wouldn't think life would be worth living without Ezekiel English muffins, which I have to, it's rich. And then it's like, I don't know, cause I haven't had bread, but like, I think this is, a, I imagine this is how bread should be, right? Yeah. That if probably. I ate a piece of like Wonder Bread, I'd be like, what? what is this point? What mm-hmm. is this?
1: Yeah. It's a sprouted grains. It's, they have gluten-free options too for people. Yes, they do. Yeah. They do. Yeah. Great. I I've had, I mean, I've, had Ezekiel in my life in some way since the 90s. Like that's how long. Far You're
0: such a trendsetter.
1: <laughs> no, I. That was my parents at that point. But oh, hey, it was. But it was my parents. Isn't that I guess such
0: was. an interesting thing, though. Gosh, I could have you on another podcast. I'd be fascinated by that alone. That you were raised like that is so amazing.
1: Yeah, I was a weird kid, but then I owned oh. it for myself. I. It, it, that's the difference. I think a lot of kids can be raised that way, but it's like, do they then? One, internalize that, it. A part of that life, their life right now. Yeah, that's um, right. You may have answered this already with the breathwork answer, but I'm curious if there's another one that's a spiritual practice or a mindfulness practice that has been the best tool for you.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm a I'm side hustle shaman. Like I'm a trained shaman and I'm trained <laughs> wow. in um, Tibetan bowl. I
1: didn't know this.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm trained. I'm a trained Tibetan bowl practitioner, trained breath worker. So. I believe so I actually, you know, and like I'm not the first person to say this about addictions and eating disorders, but they're deeply, deeply rooted in spirituality. And when somebody comes and screws with your belief system, as happens with addiction, they say addiction is a low level search for God. Right. Mm. And so because I practice what I preach and I am what I preach, I actually had to take on spirituality in such a profound way. So I'm in for it all, right? I actually I'm also this, teach this thing called intensati, which is the spiritual um, fitness class where you do these self-affirming mantras with movement. And that's pretty that's been a really amazing part of my life is doing that with my community. You know, my community is has has a lot of people who have a lot of exercise drama and trauma, and they associate exercise with pushing and running, you know, and I'm here like gently push yourself. Mantras more important than getting the movements. And so. Yeah. I mean, I think prayer and mantras and because the difference between being in a relationship with food and being on a diet is really changing your beliefs, right? Mm -hmm. And I didn't know this when I first started healing, but beliefs are choices. They're repeated thoughts. Mm -hmm. And so changing my perspective to be somebody who prays to something bigger than me, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Who knows what that, I don't really get involved in that because I don't have the luxury of it, frankly. And being somebody who, even if I don't, fully believe the mantra. I know that I will come to believe the mantra. And I know that being in a space where that is my guiding principle makes my vision. Like when I'm in my eating disorder and addiction, my life feels like the size of a postage stamp. I can't see anything in life is terrible. But when I'm in some prayer and self-affirming mantra space, it like opens my vision. So even mm-hmm. if I'm in like crappy times, I can like see a little bit more like, oh, maybe that, maybe that, maybe that. So I'm actually... I could talk about this literally all day. I did
1: not know this about you. <laughs> I'm learning so much. So I keep like, it underground. What, <laughs> so what's a prayer or mantra, if, if you can share one with us that you, is one of your go-to anchors?
0: One of my big, big, big ant, a- anchors is, I have enough, I do enough, I am enough. Mm-hmm. Like when I'm starting to feel less than, and I also think of, of choosing gratitude is, um, and listen, like even if you're just grateful for your fingernails, like I actually, I also love a good chant. And there's this, there's a singer Satnam Sat Nam Kaur and she does this hallelujah chant where she just chants hallelujah, hallelujah. I do it actually with some people sometimes. And you'd be amazed when things go wrong, that those chants will come back in your head. So hallelujah, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Like, there's something about repetitive chant that can Mm -hmm. shut down any noise that's going on in your Mm -hmm. mind. And it's really easy to lose perspective of what a problem is when, you know, and so the practice of gratitude, I I don't know that I answered your question because I have so many things, but I am enough. I have enough. I do enough. And like, I am choosing love is a big one of mine. Like Mm -hmm. what, I don't always know what the next right thing to do is, but I always know what the next loving thing to do is for myself, for Mm -hmm. others. So, you know, but all of this takes practice too. Yeah. Because sometimes I'm like a raging bitch. Like, don't worry. (laughs) Like I have a, there's a whole host of people being like, she can be really rough. She's a lot to handle.
1: That's true. Also, yes, it's all right. It's both and it's, it's not both and or. It's, right. middle path, Will. it's middle it's path.
0: Well, right. it's middle like, so path. So I just don't want anybody's being like, I ain't floating. I'm. I pro. None of this is. All of this is by necessity. None of this is like, it. oh, you know what? I'm really feeling like I should get trained in this. I was like, no, I probably need to get trained in this so that I'll do it. You know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Man. Last question. What? is a book that you've read in the last year. It could be fiction. It could be nonfiction, anything that's really inspired you spoke to you, just maybe made you think in a a new, fresh way.
0: Um, You know, Michael Singer wrote a book called the surrender experiment. It's an old book and um, he's like an amazing, he basically what he did was just said yes to everything. And it's fascinating what happened. And back when I was deep in my eating disorder, I went and I got a tattoo on my ankle. I was 21 years old. I thought, if I just get a tattoo of strength, if I just get it, then that's what's going to heal me. I never take that tattoo off. It's because it's ironic. Because it's really not about strength at all. It's really about surrender. You know, Mm. it's really about leaning in and softening and, accepting what is and then you can make a change and so that book was a very powerful read to me there's a lot of other really interesting things that happened to it and it's like about a lot about self-forgiveness and humanity and stuff like that but Mm -hmm. softening and saying yes I think are two things I really struggle with Mm -hmm. uh, my lower self struggles with and so Yeah, that would be the book, Michael Singer.
1: Beautiful. This has been a rich conversation. Thank you so much, my friend. We have have to have you back. We could talk all all about the shaman stuff. I want to talk about, (laughs) like there's so many things I want to talk to you about. So how can people connect? In the meantime, until you're back on the pod, how can people connect with you and, and learn all the things?
0: It's very easy. And you know, like the more the merrier, in my opinion. I I like can't believe we have this privilege of getting to help people. So mm-hmm. and I'm pretty involved in uh in, in all of my channels and all of that. So I have a website, mollycarmel.com. I'm on Instagram at Molly Carmel. I do a lot of stuff over there. And I have this like pretty amazing Facebook group of people. It's free, it's breaking up a sugar Facebook group where people are just literally so supportive and loving and, you know, the opposite of addiction is connection. And I wanted to start like free, this free group where like people are just loving and supportive and it's pretty amazing. So those are the main places. And also what you're craving my podcast where, you know, there's just a lot of this, like a lot of what you and I really are. We have our little brother and sister podcasts and, uh, I just, we, you know, I think we have this common thing. Like, I, I just want to help people get sovereignty. I just want to help people find themselves and get free. I mean, mm-hmm. what else is there to do in this lifetime? That's right.
1: Well said, my friend. Thank you so much. Thank you. Adore you. At the end of every episode, I'll be answering a question from one of you guys. Nothing is off limits. Ask me anything. And you can send your questions over to me on Instagram or Facebook. As a functional medicine practitioner, it's been fun seeing the questions that have already come in on different food philosophies, wellness trends, and ways to approach overall mental, emotional, and physical health and well being. Thanks for those. And I'm looking forward to seeing what else is on your mind. Now it's time for another Ask Me Anything. Today's question is from Emma. Emma asks Hi, Dr. Cole, what's your favorite healthy sweetener option? All right, let's think about it. Depends on who the person is, what their preference is, what where their health goals are at. So let's talk about two different categories. Let's talk about the natural sweeteners that are as natural as possible, that are unmodified as possible. Uh, they're in their natural state as much as we can get. And that is honey and maple syrup. I think both of those use sparingly to moderately, depending on the person and their sensitivity to sugars and gut health, blood sugar issues, etc. I think those are two options that uh, I I integrate in my own life as well. So I love raw honey. uh, I love manuka honey. I love pure Organic maple syrup. Those are great options, but there's still sugar in them. So, yes, you're going to get the minerals and it's in a more whole food form that doesn't behave the same way as a processed refined sugar, but it's still sugar nonetheless. So, that's one option. But if someone wants more of a natural, low carb, zero calorie sweetener, then my mind goes to stevia or stevia, things like xylitol and monk fruit. Those would be sort of uh, my options for someone that wants less calories, less sugar. It still is very sweet. Too much of those can hurt some people's digestion or cause some digestive symptoms, I should say. It's not gonna hurt your gut per se, but it can cause some digestive symptoms. And so it should be used in small amounts as needed to sweeten things up, like baked goods coffee, etc. if somebody wants a low carb natural option. So those are my options if I had to pick honey, maple syrup, xylitol, stevia monk fruit. Those are the my top options there. I talk about these things at length actually in all my books, intuitive fasting, the inflammation spectrum and ketotarian. If you want to learn about the science behind these things.